0: This is Undiscarded Stories of New York, a Brooklyn-bound podcast. The next stop is Lorimer Street. Transfer here for the City Reliquary Museum. Stand clear of the closing doors.
1: Welcome to Undiscarded Stories of New York, a podcast brought to you by the City Reliquary Museum and Civic Organization in Brooklyn. My guest today is man about town, Jacob Ford. He's a member of the City Reliquary's board of directors and one of the driving forces behind this podcast. He spent most of his career working in and around museums and has a real passion for thinking about how history is preserved and presented. Jacob, tell us about all the things that you do.
2: Hey, oh man, Uh, I'm a graphic designer and web developer, recently turned full-time freelance and uh, specialize in small museums. Here I am with this one.
1: Jacob's with me today to talk about one of the most iconic symbols of New York City. I know, I say that almost every episode. But really, what is more New York than the subway token? No city in the country is more tied in to their public transit system than New York is with the subway. The unique shape and varieties of tokens people use for decades to pay for their train rides... Has become kind of a talisman for all things NYC.
2: The famous one with the Y cutout that you still see in coffee shop logos around New York. I think people who have never used a token for transit in their entire life still recognize the the NYC shape with a you know, kind of an angular N and C and then a a very like outlined cutout big, tall Y. I think a lot of people recognize that in Streetwear. I've seen it in a coffee shop logo. Um, what is it? Five Burrows Roasting Company. Uh, I think a lot of people just know that's an iconic shape without even recognizing that it comes from the subway token.
1: Uh, I've seen a lot of jewelry using these sort of uh, vintage tokens. Oh, uh, yeah.
2: And then, of course, the, the old tokens themselves become something that you can use or make necklaces out of. And it's handy that they already have a hole punched in them. Put mm-hmm. them right on a string.
1: Those tokens with the Y-shaped hole were used for decades in New York, first from 1953 to 1970 in a small Y design, then from 1970 to 1980 in the large Y version. After that, there were four more basic designs before tokens were phased out altogether in 2003. The specific token Jacob and I are looking at today is of a design that was used from January of 1986 to mid-November 1995. It has no hole at all, but rather a small silver circle concentric to a larger brass one. The larger circle on the outside is stamped with the words New York City Transit Authority on one side and good for one fare on the other. I believe it's called the bullseye token. That's like the type of style it is, right? It's brass colored with a small silver bullseye in the center.
2: But this is even a subset of that. A very specific and relatively unknown, rare but surprisingly not that collected token called the SJD token. This has a little secret etched into it.
1: I love how you guys kind of have it set up. You have it set up like a very important scientific specimen. You have kind of like this little, uh, what do you call it, like a booth almost? And it says the SJD token for uh, the description.
2: A little uh, plaque that is made out of balsa wood and foam core um, that kind of wraps around a little armature that holds the token. And another clamp has a magnifying glass that is focused just right onto the SJD. The SJD is tiny. It's about two millimeters tall, and it's engraved just below the D in good for one fare on the token itself. And we've even cut out and stuck a tiny little, probably five, maybe eight millimeter red arrow on the token itself, pointing right at the SJD. And uh, these were the initials of the Uh, at that time, commissioner of the New York City transit system, Sylvester J. Dubois, possibly Dubois. I was uh, debating earlier how it's pronounced. And uh, he, at the very last minute, just before placing the order for these subway tokens, the design was already made. Uh, These had already been in production, the classic bullseye token. But at the last minute for this one order, he snuck in his own initials below the D. He uh, claimed it was an anti-counterfeiting measure. Not really sure exactly exactly, How, since there were plenty of tokens already without his initials.
1: Even with the magnifying glass, it's kind of really, really hard to see. Do you believe that his motivation to put his initials on there was to prevent counterfeiting?
2: No, I think it's the same way that I have uh, carved my initials in things or, you know, hidden it into designs that I do. Uh, it's it's your little way to literally stamp your name on the universe and hope that notices. I think he was, frankly, a little too obvious about it. <laughs> These actually had some very impressive uh, anti-counterfeiting measures. I recently learned that part of the bullseye is, well, one, it's hard to make. You have to mix two metals together, and you have to have very special machines to stamp them into one solid piece. And two, they were slightly ferrous, slightly magnetic, and so the machines could actually detect that magnetism. So you couldn't fake it with, say, an arcade token or an actual quarter.
1: I'm really curious about this, like, magnetic. Uh, what was the theory that I would, like, kind of suck into the thing more faster and, you know, it would be able to differentiate between you throwing in just a dime in there? I
2: think, yeah, it's more like you have a a ramp where the, the coin rolls and then that ramp might be uh, suspended near a magnet. So a non-magnetic coin would roll straight, whereas the magnetic coin would bend the ramp just a slight amount. And that's how you're able to detect it. It is one of the more advanced tokens and lasted a while until the MetroCard came into testing in 1994.
1: I mean, it is awfully small, His initials, you know, it, it's it's kind of like melded into the texture over there. But uh, I think a lot of people kind of know where to look.
2: Allegedly, it was fired for it. It is de- We've confirmed that he either step down or, you know, in politics, no one's fired. Everyone just steps down. Um, It's unclear if this was the one and only reason, but uh, the timing seems to point to it. And uh, what I love about this specific token is a lot of things, but especially if you're just getting into coin collecting or New York City history, this is one of those rare coins that not a lot of people know to even look for. So you could just buy a, a bag of old Subway tokens on eBay and chances are a couple of them in that bag will will be SJD tokens. You just need a magnifying glass to look under the D.
0: There is a podcast section about coinage, now arriving on the Manhattan-bound local track. There is a podcast section about metro cards four minutes away.
1: So tokens weren't always part of the New York City transit system. I believe they weren't added till about 1953. Can you tell me a little bit about how you paid for the subway before that?
2: Yeah. So when the subway was first launched as a private transit company, I believe the, the first transit that required a token was the, the trolley over the Williamsburg Bridge right near us. And it was five cents. So you just paid a nickel. They had machines that accepted a nickel. Then the fare was raised. Probably the only time in New York history it was doubled, um, and we get mad about fare raises today, it went up to $0.10. Cents, so the machines just were retrofitted to accept a dime. And then it went up to $0.15, cents, and that caused a problem because there is no $0.15 cent coin in America. So the token was invented, and the first subway token was exactly the size and weight of a dime with some actual counter, anti-counterfeiting measures like a Y carved into the center of it. Um, The the famous Y is actually a hole stamped into the middle of the coin. Um, And the reason they made it exactly the diameter and thickness of a dime is so that they didn't have to change all the machines because by that point, when it was raised to 15 cents, there were a lot more stops on the subway and a lot more than just uh, two or three trolley stops.
1: Uh, I believe this Y design was uh, one of the most popular uh, subway designs, but it wasn't totally the most effective design for a subway token. I heard that there were issues with lint, because people would have them in their pockets, and like um, the lint would get caught in it, so then when they did it in the turnstiles, it kind of messed up yeah, the functionality. it's like functionality. The, it's the
2: iPhone charging port of the 1950s. <laughs> Just fills with lint and uh, eventually your phone stops charging.
1: So then I believe they went up to the size of a quarter at some point as well.
2: Yeah, it's, I think it's just slightly smaller than a quarter. It's actually, uh, I don't know if this is a standard, but it's exactly the size of like a Chuck E. Cheese token or a arcade token. I think there's like a, a standardized token size for, for any machine that accepts tokens. I believe the last token machine was taken out of commission in 2003.
1: So there's no machines anywhere in the city where you can still use like an old token and try and get by?
2: Nope. And I believe, you know, usually when the payment method changes, there's some period of time, often years, that you can, you know, even if the machine doesn't accept it, you can trade in your tokens for credit on a Metro card or something. I think there was some program like that, but even that's over. So at this point, the tokens are purely collector's decorative items or museum artifacts.
1: What happened when the Metro card came about? How, how did that come about? What was the reason for that?
2: A couple of things. One, um, this was the, the age that the credit card was starting to become popular, become the default payment. So uh, transit tends to follow whatever the default payment is. So in the age of coins. It was a coin in the age of credit cards. It was a magnetic card. Now in the age of tap to pay, it's transitioning in some cities, including ours, to tap to pay.
1: I heard that there was some marketing around it. There was a character called Cardvark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about Cardvark.
2: <laughs> oh, I think he showed up in newspapers. I think there was even a local TV ad. Um, yeah, he's, I'm trying to think of, I guess he was like the Smokey the Bear of the New York City subway And uh, I think it was an era when having a fun little cartoon character, instead of being more annoying, which I think most people would find it today, that uh, that somehow helped with the transition, or at least the MTA thought it would.
1: Yeah, I heard, um, I think there was somebody who referred to it as a dumb-looking, snout-nosed, big-eared, bug-eyed, round-cheeked, pot card-pitching mascot. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, other than the pun, cardvark, it didn't feel like it had anything to do with the the card itself. Um, so you, you start to question, <laughs> what would, what's the connection here? Why is this aardvark talking to me? Um, I also found out recently that when the United States Postal Service launched zip codes, they had Zippy, who was like this little uh, postal carrier cartoon guy who taught you, you have to add five new digits to every address now. Uh, but don't worry, it'll help your mail get delivered faster. America is growing. I think Cardvark was very similar. It's, uh, it's. A, I think it's the MTA recognizing that a lot of people are not going to like this. Uh,
1: Why do you think people were resistant to switching over to a Metro card?
2: I think it's a mix. I think some people have genuine, um, legitimate reservations. Privacy was a, a very serious concern. I think uh, a fear that making making entry to the subway uh digital this this was the first digital payment even though it was a physical card the data encoded on that magnetic stripe is digital it i think people were correct in noticing this it made it very very trivially easy to uh raise the cost of the subway uh whereas sure you could change the price of a token but people would just you know, they buy, may
1: have bought a ton in exactly, advance, buy a
2: bunch of tokens before the the price goes up. Whereas a metro card only carries a dollar value, so if you put hundred dollars on your metro card and the fare goes up, you essentially have less money on your metro card. And uh, so I think there were a lot of legitimate reasons, and I I don't think that you have to be conspiratorial to believe that that was a, a motivating factor for for switching to this system. But I also think. A lot of people just don't like change. And I've been, I've certainly felt that way. I think uh, when you are very used to coins or if you've built your whole morning routine on how many Subway tokens you put in your pocket, if you are the type of person who in 1994 still hadn't gotten a credit card, either out of principle or just didn't want one, weren't interested, it's frustrating to now have to carry this card-shaped object. I think people just get used to routines and don't want to have to change. There was
1: sort of like a purpose behind the MetroCard. Like they were talking about how um, it was going to kind of unify the transit system. Like, you know, the the transferring from one subway to the other. You didn't need to use another token. It would be recorded. You could use it for the buses. What was kind of the system before if you had to transfer or if you had to take a bus?
2: Uh, If you had to leave the station, you either had to get a ticket from a a vendor. I think you had to like physically line up if there was a line and get a transfer ticket to prove that you were already in the system and had the right to transfer. Um, and yeah, to your point, I always wonder how much of these reasons for updating payment methods are are really the reason to update the payment method, and how many how much of it is uh, trying to make an excuse for uh, we feel like we should do this now. Let's come up with some reasons to do it. Uh, But it is true. Uh, MetroCard, each one has a unique ID. So the idea is if you... uh, There are a couple stations in in the New York City subway that are not connected underground, but they're so close that they're considered the same stop. And New York is one of the only cities where you pay the exact same price no matter how far you go on the subway. Currently $2.75. So uh, the one I use all the time is uh, 59th Street, Lexington Avenue. There's a six train stop and a, a seven that you can't get to underground, I believe. So if you uh, go up above ground and then go back in the station just half a block away and then scan the same Metro card or tap the same watch or iPhone or credit card, uh, it will count as a transfer. And that is an advantage. Uh, it's something you don't have to wait in line for anymore. But when it first comes out, it feels... Frustrating to many, it feels like a new system you have to learn if somehow feels like someone's getting something over on you.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we are being held momentarily by this podcast host due to a security issue with electronic payment systems. Service will resume shortly.
1: I know that there's been some concern about privacy
2: issues. Mm. I'd love to get into that and understand more of it. <laughs> if you've ever bought a USB credit card swiper, um, they're actually, I have not. <laughs> uh, you can actually make your own. It's, it's literally the same reader that comes with any cassette tape player. It's the huh. same little magnetic head. You can actually swipe a credit card in a cassette tape deck and uh, listen to your credit card. But embedded in that stripe is basically everything printed on the front of your card, including your name, the credit card number itself, which you can think of as obviously a unique identifier. No two credit cards have the same number. And so, yeah, anyone, anywhere you swipe your card has access to that. And, you know, if you're just, just like your local bodega might know your name or at least recognize you on some level, that's not that creepy. But when you're swiping your card at a coffee shop, but they use a square point-of-sale system, now every other coffee shop that has a square system can start to possibly access your name. And then that credit card number can be connected to an email address. And now your level of privacy is in the hands of one large company, even though you're shopping at a tiny local coffee shop. And that's where the privacy concerns, I think, come in. And I think it's especially sensitive when, you know, you're, you're using these cards at uh, subways, at public transit, they could be used to see at least where you enter the subway. Uh, Again, one privacy advantage to New York is because we don't charge by a distance, you never have to tap anything to get out of the subway. So all that could be seen is where you enter. But
1: That's still locational info.
2: (laughs) Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think it has been used. There have been um, police cases where someone's home was figured out or confirmed where what neighborhood they lived in based on subway records or uh, MetroCard purchasing on a, on a credit card. Whereas when you have a, a token where there's no... The token has value, it is worth one subway or bus ride, but it is in no way connected or, or personalized to you. Uh, you get some advantages with that, like having privacy. If I uh, buy a token with cash... No one has any way of tracking that token, but also some disadvantages. If I lose 20 subway tokens and someone else picks them up, that other person <laughs> just got 20 free subway rides and I just lost them. Whereas you lose your credit card, because it's a unique ID, you can you can call to get it canceled or put on hold, or even if charges are made on it, there's some party backing that so they can they can void or nullify the transactions. That's just a trade-off that we make. And then, I don't know, I don't fall firmly on any one side of that, but uh, to me, there always needs to be some privacy-preserving way. So I'm glad that New York launched an OmniCard that you can pay uh, with cash to get. Uh, They're available at CVS's. I'm just a little frustrated. They cost $10 to get, um, and that's not even $10 credit that you get to the subway. You just pay $10 to get the card
1: Oh, and then you can load it up however you want?
2: And you can load it with cash. Yeah, you can tap it anywhere. It still has a unique ID, so uh, someone who has access to all the subway data could see what card goes everywhere. But if you paid for it with cash, they wouldn't, at least theoretically, wouldn't have a way to to tie it back to you specifically. But I also think it is, in an unfortunate way, it's it's a mismatch between... What should be default, and and how transit feels like it needs to operate. They are attempts by transit networks to keep up with the new payment method, but they can also become very obnoxious and, and inhospitable and difficult to to navigate if it's not clear how they work. So you know, it, it kind of feels beautiful to me in the age when it was five cent fare and you just put in a nickel. I feel this whenever I travel and I try to figure out the subway or the bus network in another city and sometimes it's easy there's just a uh, sometimes you can just pay with cash or even like with tap to pay in New York with an iPhone credit card I I think those those standard based methods are are actually really really good and accessible but it's when you have to download a special app or go to a exchange center in order to get a preloaded card with some value on it Uh, when you can't just wait at a bus stop and pay with cash on the bus, that these systems become very inhospitable to newcomers and to travelers. I recently uh, was in the Bay Area, and I used BART, the Bay Area Rapid Transit, and they recently launched a a tap-to-pay system, but it feels like it just hit the mark at every point. So, first of all, it does not accept regular credit cards, regular uh, iPhone or Android tap-to-pay smartphone systems. You have to get a special card. Even more frustrating is when I used it, I loaded up my card and then it said it was processing. And I was just standing there in front of the turnstile at a station thinking, oh, I just loaded it up so I can use it now, right? Nope, you have to wait 20 minutes for your card to wow. <laughs> to process. I'm happy that New York's new tap-to-pay system is a standard tap-to-pay. It works with any... It's an open standard, any well, not that anyone could start a credit card company, but if you did, you can make your credit card compatible with this system. You don't have to get a special card. you don't have to uh, you don't have to buy into a, a separate system. It just works within what you're already using for anything else you pay. You know, in my perfect world, the subway would be free. you know we it's weird to me that we think of these these systems that support our whole economy, our whole Uh, infrastructure, our whole local society. And and we talk about them as if they're a business, as if like, how much profit did the subway make this year? What are you talking about? How much profit did the roads make this year? None. You just drive on them. Like the government invests in making it free and easy to get around your local society, your world, your country. Why don't we think of the subway that way?
1: Yeah, I keep hearing about the deficit and how much trouble the MTA is, but it is, regardless of ridership, an essential part of the city, the backbone of the city. Of
2: course it should lose money. It's like, that's that's how governments work. You pay for things that support, like, how do you think people get to their jobs? You know, factor, sure, maybe the subway, the subway costs a lot of money to build and to run, uh, but think of what it enables. It enables our whole economy in New York City. It's how most people get to work. How much money does it bring in, the fact that tourists don't need to bring their own car to New York City to get around? Like, you can <laughs> go to Coney Island, Times Square, and uh, Roosevelt Island in, in one day, and you, don't, you can just park your car out in Staten Island the whole time. That's amazing. It's this amazing infrastructure that just works. And yeah, it costs a lot of money, but it's worth it. Think of what we get out of it. It's a good investment.
1: So why aren't subways more popular nationwide? Trains are fast, cheap, efficient, and eco-friendly. So why have we stopped being a country that travels by train and become one where everyone drives everywhere?
2: I think about this whenever I order an Uber or any rideshare with friends who do. And I I genuinely think one of the reasons that we like those so much is you can just see what's happening. Um, Ubers are almost always slower than the subway, definitely more expensive than the subway, but there's something very comforting about seeing on your own phone screen where your car is, how much it's going to cost, who your driver is. And so I wonder... Uh, how much of people's hesitation to take the subway is just that. Every time you're about to take the subway, you wonder, is this one going to get delayed? Is this one going to get stuck? Am I going to get to the station just 30 seconds after a train leaves and have to wait 20 minutes? And so I think, do you feel out of control? And you are out of control. It's the same reason, you know, statistically, you are far more likely to die driving a car than you are on a plane. But somehow a plane feels scarier because you don't have any control. You're just just sitting in a seat. that hope the pilot doesn't mess up. And I think the subway feels very similar. Uh, We we really like having the control of driving our own car or at least feeling like we're paying the driver of a car or know the driver of our car, whether it's our parent or a friend or a loved one. Um, Somehow that just makes it feel like that person is more accountable for our safety and for getting us where we need to go on time. And I think the way that we build trust in the subway is do that same thing. I think this is why Uber and Lyft are so successful. Not that they run a great service, yet what they do provide is real live information on what's going on. Where's my car? Why isn't my car here yet? Pull up your phone, see where it is. I think the signs that have been installed showing exactly when the next train is coming. That's been great. Yeah, has been amazing. It's one of those tiny things that, you know, when they're installed, they don't feel like they're going to change anything. You wonder how much money was spent on this. But then you realize how much you rely on these. It didn't make the trains any more reliable or any faster, but somehow just knowing, oh, my train's delayed. That's why I haven't seen a train in 10 minutes. Feels a lot better than standing at the station wondering, is a train ever going to come or not? Um, And it, it turns out people are actually incredibly, incredibly good at gathering and processing information. You just have to provide it to them.
0: Stand clear of the closing section, please.
1: Are you a Victorist?
2: Ooh, yeah, that's a word that I just learned. Why don't you
1: explain it? I just learned it too, so.
2: (laughs) so uh, a numismatist would be a coin collector. A vecturist would be a transit token collector, which is not to be confused with a vexillologist, which is a flag collector or designer. Are you any of the above? Um, I, after discovering this SJD token through the City Reliquary, when I first started going here in 2013, uh, I did... Uh, find a lot of SJD tokens on eBay and uh, and collect them, but that is the end of my transit token collecting. But here I am loving this specific token we have on display. Oh, I do also have one of the 600 test uh, Metro cards ever made. So in uh, 1994, when the Metro card was first introduced, they made a series of test cards that uh, were handed out just to a few people. I don't think they even got you in the subway. It was just your way. Anytime you were about to pay a token, you were supposed to also swipe the card if you were a tester just to make sure that it worked at every station. And I have one of those. Those are pretty pretty rare.
1: Do you have a particular favorite token outside of the SJD token and any designs you thought that were more effective than others?
2: No, I think my favorite is and always will be the SJD token. Now my only question is... uh, what uh what initials can you hide into an omni signature <laughs> <laughs> what initials and secret codes can you hide into a wireless nfc tap i think what i love about it is it feels very new york to me to hide your own initials into something you know you're you're obviously hoping people see it but you're also kind of hiding it it's a strange mix you're you're hiding something but you, you clearly want it to be seen. It's kind of like graffiti or carving your initials into a wet sidewalk or street art or now putting vinyl stickers on uh, like a, some piece of street furniture, like a lamppost. You're, you're simultaneously hiding it. You're rewarding people who look closely or dig into things. But you also, of course, want it to be found. Um, And I think that speaks to New York Transit itself. Um, Anytime a street gets repaved, especially here in Brooklyn, often you will see old trolley tracks exposed. And Brooklyn had an incredible, vast trolley network that unfortunately was just covered up by uh, streets and dismantled, uh, largely replaced by the car, which I have strong negative feelings about. But also kind of beautiful when these things get... get, well, undiscarded, dug up, uh, accidentally exposed. It's, it's almost like Sylvester hiding his initials in a coin. It's kind of like the trolley hit its mark on the city. It would cost way more to, to remove all these rails than, than to just pave over them. So they're there and they'll be there for probably thousands of years.
1: This has been Undiscarded Stories of New York, a podcast brought to you by the City Reliquary Museum and Civic Organization in Brooklyn, New York, in partnership with Citizen Racecar. My name is Tanya Muhammad, and I produce this show in collaboration with David Hoffman, who edits the stories. Post-production and original music by Jose Miguel Baez, Contributing producer Jacob Ford, production manager Gabriella Montequin, outreach managers Sarah Shallantano and Condi Chantelou. You might recognize our subway announcer for this episode. It is none other than Charlie Pellet, a very familiar voice for all of us who ride the New York City subway system. Thanks Charlie. To hear more about the City Reliquary and the Subway, check out our friends at the Bowery Boys podcast. Their show is one of the longest-running NYC history podcasts. They recently did a whole episode devoted to the Miss Subway's pageant, which features Dave Herman, the Reliquary's founder, and other transit experts. You can learn more about the artifact in this episode at undiscarded.org. And be sure to follow at City Reliquary on Instagram for facts and pictures. You can hear about the museum's mission, exhibits, and events at cityreliquary.org. I'd like to thank Untapped New York and Lauren Purcell of Tank Media for all their support so far and to all of you for tuning in and listening. As always, if you enjoyed this episode of Undiscarded, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, tell your friends, and leave us a review. They really do help us. And there are so many more stories to tell.
0: stop on this podcast. Everyone, please leave the podcast. Thank you for riding with undiscarded stories of New York.